What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, okay. hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. your feet above the cable as well so nobody can grab at you. Yeah, very smart. Andrews came flying in. In the Helms Dynasty, these guys are going to win it. Wow, they... Which one is going to win it, though? Both have their hand on... Oh, wow. They're trying to get the championship down, and they both have it. They both have it. DJ 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 DJC won! The winner match and new X-Division champion, DJ DJZ saw an opportunity. There was no clear winner. Two men had their hands on the championship. DJZ flies in. He comes down with the physical title. And DJZ is now a two-time X Division champion in an incredible gauntlet match in Ultimate X. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by our appearance at Legends of the Ring. This coming October 21st at Legends of the Ring in Monroe, New Jersey. Join the two-man power trip of wrestling and our guests, a collection of champions and one of the most devious individuals to ever step through the ropes as we are joined by our triple threat co-hosts Shane Douglas, the Sandman, and Jerry Lynn, as well as the Taskmaster himself, Kevin Sullivan, joining us at Legends of the Ring. Get all the information on our Facebook page. Check us out there. If you haven't been to a Legends of the Ring convention, you know you are missing out on something big. And if you have been to one, you know that there is a ton of fun going on at these shows. And you never know what's going to happen when you're there and who's going to pop up that you didn't expect to see. So head on over to our Facebook page right now and reserve your tickets to join us and more to come on that information later on. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad. And as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner here on the two man power trip, the one and only John Paz and John today, we welcome in somebody who I know we have been looking forward to speaking with for a long time. He is an outstanding high flying aerial technician he is the one and only zima ion aka djz joining today's program and with djz we expected to talk a lot about some of the intense matches he's had his journey his battles a lot of the stops he's made along the way but this interview gets hijacked by one of the most interesting stories that we have quite possibly ever heard on our airwaves as DJZ looks to survive inside 
of a Mexican hospital and fight for his not only life, but his career as he struggled to get through an injury on foreign land. And boy, oh boy, does the story go from there. So now, if you don't know the background on it, it was over the summer, it was in Mexico, and DJ Z had an accident that led to some pretty harsh circumstances where it took a toll not only on himself physically, but also financially, and was quite the comeback for Zima Ion to come from. And uh, I'm not going to give you too much more of the story. I know John's going to tell you a little bit more about it, but what an uh, just absolutely amazing amazing look into this guy's life that he was able to share with us. But if you know DJ Z and you've seen him before, you know what to expect. He's full of energy. He definitely loves being a professional wrestler. And one of the things I love talking about with him off the top was the change in professional wrestling and seeing the new kinds of fans that do come in, whether you like them or you don't like them, whether you feel they're hurting the business or helping the business. DJ Z is somebody who gets out there all the time and is still very relatively young. He knows what it's like to see this change happening, and we kind of break down the new scene of the professional wrestling fan landscape, and it's pretty uh, it's pretty interesting to see what a wrestler thinks about the new fans that are coming in, because I know what other fans think about fans coming in, and sometimes the, uh, the divide is there, but DJZ is a really cool spin on what the newer fan base bringing to the table here in professional wrestling is all about. So now, John, I'm going to welcome you in here because I know there's a lot more to talk about with DJZ's incredible story. So I'm going to turn it over to you. Tell us a little bit more about that as well as some of the other highlights that we have to look forward to here on an uh, amazing and intimate chat with Zima Ion, a.k.a. the one and only DJZ. Yes, Chad rocking and rolling back here at the two-man power trip, and we had one hell of a conversation with one DJZ. Obviously, you may know him as Zima Ion as well, a former two-time, two-time TNA X Division champion, and this really was one hell of a conversation. I mean, boy, you never quite know what you're going to get with some of these guys. You know, you, you see them on TV or, you know, you talk to them via email or, you know, you do a, a little bit of a pre-interview on, on a phone call beforehand, things of that nature. But you never truly know, you know, what kind of info, what kind of intel, what kind of stories you're going to get from the wrestlers until you start rocking and rolling and doing the interview and just really, you know, shooting the shit with them. And, boy, we get such great stuff. I mean, the story about the injury and the surgery that he had down in Mexico when he was wrestling uh, with uh, the Crash promotion is just absolutely insane. And obviously, if you've heard it before, he goes into a little bit more detail with us than I've heard him go on before. And just really great stuff there. He was held prisoner. You know, basically, they make him go bankrupt because they make him make before they end up doing the surgery at the hospital they basically say hey you need to come up with this money or we're basically going to let you die here and that's sad state of affairs and it's crazy what goes on down there in mexico but I, that's i guess that's just the way it goes it's nuts down there and so he was held prisoner by the hospital they're holding him up for money now he's almost bankrupt because he's giving him all his money it's just an absolutely insane story and for him to kind of get over the hump and get away from that and overcome that is a great story in him in and of itself. And then we get the story about how he basically made his return to Mexico back in August for the huge AAA Triple Mania event. And we get all the details on that as well. So you're really going to be intrigued by that story for, for sure. And we also talk about how he really invested in himself after the surgery. And he ended up spending a lot, a lot, a lot of money on a new outfit, new gear, new attire. They have some lights on it, some awesome mask added to it. So it's a real great eye-catching outfit that he's got now. He really invested a lot of money in it. And when you invest in yourself, that usually turns out pretty well, especially when you're a great high flyer and a great wrestler and a great worker like DJZ is. Now, last thing I'll mention, of course, is we do go a little bit into his TNA run, where I mentioned before he's a former two-time X Division champ. So... Sit back, relax, and enjoy. You're really going to like this one. It might surprise some people. He is just a great talker, great storyteller, phenomenal interview. So like I said, sit back, relax, and enjoy a little bit of Zima Ion, a.k.a. DJZ. 
without a doubt. And it is a very, very deep talk with DJ Z. And it is a gripping story about his stay in Mexico when he gives you such intimate detail that it's very compelling. And uh, I bet you you're going to go check out some of the match footage if you can afterwards just to see how this guy performed and how this guy has bounced back since that devastating injury. And it's such a credit to his resilience and that he keeps on going. He keeps on getting better. And down here in our neck of the woods in Primal Conflict Wrestling coming up, a good friend of our show and the group down in Primal Conflict, they will have DJZ fighting for their world title in a couple of weeks, so it's going to be nice to meet DJZ in person and definitely uh, thank him for being so open on this interview because I really think you're going to find it to be very, very refreshing and maybe not uh, what you would think going in. DJZ known for that high-flying and just insane aerial attack, but this time gets a little deep and goes into detail about his ordeal in Mexico, and it is quite the chat, so stay tuned and stay informed as we march forward, and like I said at the top of the show, today's episode is brought to you by our appearance at Legends of the Ring. We are going to be joined by one hell of a group, including our Triple Threat podcast co-host, the franchise Shane Douglas, fellow ECW world champions, the Sandman, Jerry Lynn, and also, how can we forget, the legendary Taskmaster himself, Kevin Sullivan, will be joining us at Legends of the Ring this coming October 21st in Monroe, New Jersey. You can head to our Facebook page right now and reserve your autograph and photo op tickets as well as make your plans to join us at another just amazing Legends of the Ring convention, this time with a little ECW flavor and the devil himself Kevin Sullivan joining us for that wonderful day coming in October here on the 21st. So, John, with all that being said, hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to DJZ. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rose, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Buff Bagwell, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, TMPTOfWrestling.com. And if you're on Android, please check us out on Google Play or Player FM. Follow along with a two-man power trip in 2017 as we come to a town near you. TMPT hits the road. October 21st, we hit the Legends of the Ring in New Jersey. November 4th, we hit the big event in New York City. And the big one, the granddaddy of them all, the big guy, Wrestlecade in North Carolina on 11:25 with Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. There will be a Four Horsemen reunion for sure. So follow along with the two-man power trip as you never know where we may land. And now, without any further ado, the Filipino playboy, that young go hard. He is a former two-time TNA X-Division champion. You may know him as Zima Ion, but we know him as DJZ. Please enjoy.
is an Impact Wrestling superstar. He's a former two-time TNA Impact X Division champion. He is the Filipino playboy. He is the young go-hard. He is Zima Ion, a.k.a. DJ Z. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, thank you guys for having me. What's going on? Well, I'll tell you, you know, when I was preparing for this interview, something came to mind, and it was very cool to see how far your career has really come because I came across the documentary that you did probably about six or seven years ago, watching you really kind of break your way into the business just a little bit at that point to see where you've come now. I just got to say, man, congratulations on what you've accomplished. Oh, I really appreciate it. You know what's funny about that documentary? That was, like you said, six or seven years ago, but to this day, probably every city I go to, every show that I wrestle on, I'll get at least one person that will bring up that documentary and mention that they watched it. And surprising to me because I didn't realize so many people had seen it. (laughs) So it's pretty cool. Well, the funny part about that documentary, not just your part, which is very, very interesting, and watching you go through a Ring of Honor tryout, but the National Wrestling Superstars uh, independent promotion that they highlighted was the promotion that John and I, uh, living in New Jersey at the time, uh, that was basically our home-based promotion. So it's kind of cool to look back at both uh, and see how far you've come. And I don't really think the uh, the NWS is, uh, is up and running uh, like they should be at this point. But nonetheless, man, talking about what you're up to now, talking about impact wrestling and all the stuff you've got going on so i guess the first logical question would be is how do you see everything that's been going down in the impact global force tna world whatever we're going to call it now what do you think of all the changes that have been going on recently well like for me personally i'm on the outside looking in i haven't been at impact since march i'm actually not even 100 percent sure that i will be there in november yet so I really can't speak too much on how it's been going since I haven't been there. But I will say all of the constant changes in management sometimes feel like it's a soap opera. Like I feel like that could be a reality show, the the day-to-day running of Impact Wrestling, (laughs) because there's so much drama, so many changes, so many newsworthy seem to happen weekly, monthly, what have you. So sometimes I wonder if, maybe instead of just having a wrestling show, maybe we should have a reality show about the wrestling show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it would have many, many chapters, a lot of cliffhangers, you know, sometimes uh, some changes that are made uh, that that do shock everybody and you don't see coming. But one that may hit kind of close to home to you was in this past week, they parted ways with a buddy to our show. And of course, somebody very tied to you and that's Robbie E. So Robbie E. walking away now from Impact Wrestling. Obviously, you guys tied at the hip for quite some time. What do you kind of see uh, in Robbie's future as he's departing? I don't know. That's a big loss for Impact, believe it or not. Like Robbie E., underrated wrestling mind, I will say that. I've learned so much over the years about not just wrestling, but about the business of wrestling He's really got a mind for it. I could see him being an agent someday for some type of wrestling company. He has a lot to offer, and maybe people don't see that if they're just judging that based on his in-ring work, but the guy like knows his stuff when it comes to professional wrestling, and he was like uh, good morale for the locker room. Like Everybody loved when Robbie was around. He's always cracking jokes. He's a guy that has an amazing ability that I wish that I personally had. He can get over with literally anybody. It doesn't matter if there's a language barrier, what your personality is, how polar opposite they may be. Robbie E. can get along and get over with literally everybody. <laughs> and I wish I had that. Like He's got amazing people skills. Yeah, he's pretty good, and on this show, he's got a little mini feud going with Tommy Dreamer over uh, Subway Sandwiches, and uh, basically, who could be a better uh, representative of the Subway brand, so that's one little inter-show rivalry that Robbie's got going, but it always seems that Robbie's got his hand in something going on in the wrestling business. Yeah, I mean, he'll figure something out, don't worry, he's always plotting and scheming, so I won't be surprised at all to see Robbie back in 
some sort of spotlight besides the uh, Dadbot Destroyer. I don't know if you guys have seen those videos, but yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's he was promoting the last time we had him on was the uh, the Dadbot Destroyer, and that might have been what Tommy yeah. took a little uh, took a little uh, you know a little sourness to was him uh, using the babies as uh, as weights there. But hey, they're very funny. They're very uh, they're very unique, definitely, especially for all those uh, those chubby Dadbots out there that we got to help transform. You know. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, he'll land on his feet somewhere, but I will miss seeing him at Impact Wrestling. He uh he's one of my best friends and it's not gonna be the same without him. Now that's cool that you say that. But kinda talk about what you've been up to then, because I know you're out there on the roads and you're grinding it and you're doing your thing. So how have you uh, kinda seen this whole independent wrestling world changing over the last year? Obviously WWE has put their hand into many independent wrestling pots pulled a lot of talent out, and as the indies have really become this kind of cult place now for great wrestling, have you seen the scene change over the last year or so? I think the biggest change that I've seen on the indies is that, like, it's become a cool thing all of a sudden. There's always been great wrestling on the independents. I will say that probably present-day independent, the quality of wrestling on the scene has never been higher, so that's exciting, but there's always been great matches, but now it seems that like we're attracting a different type of fan on the independent scene. Whereas before it was, you know, whether it was uh, a lot of families, kids, or like smart marks. Now I'm seeing more and more a lot of hipsters at the wrestling shows, a lot of kids that aren't necessarily diehards, but follow wrestling maybe through Reddit, follow it on the internet. And just want to go out on a Saturday night, drink some beer, and watch the people do some flips. There's different types of fans now, which weren't there before. So to see independent wrestling all of a sudden as this like cool thing for kids to do on the weekends, like that's interesting to me. Another observation I've made about the independents that wasn't a thing before was how many active wrestlers on the scene run their own promotions right now. That was not a thing 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Back in the day, it was, you know, these, these guys that were promoters. That's what they were. Or it was like a old-school wrestler that, you know, has, has since retired or whatever. But now you've got, like, big-name guys that run their own companies, whether it's Michael Elgin running his thing, Ethan Page running his. There's so many examples. But, yeah, that's like a recent development that was not there even a few years ago. So I think that's really cool. It's changing so much, and I'm really, really happy that I get to be a part of it. You know, it's funny you say that and mention, you know, the hipster vibe specifically because I think that's something that John and I always kind of chat about when we when we do a show or we go to a show or we're at a convention and we see how the wrestling fan has kind of evolved a little bit in some ways. I mean, still you get your, you know, your... You know, "Quote unquote," a typical wrestling fan who we do love, and we will not—we're not making fun of anybody. But the hipster vibe has definitely come into professional wrestling, and I just never thought I would see that. But me too. With that brings, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, coming with that brings, like you said, Reddit, and obviously everybody's really uh, active on social media. So, do you think that them being involved is helping the social media world? gain a little bit more attention to wrestling from, like, the outsider perspective? Because the diehards will always be there and tweeting about it. But now you've got celebrities, you know, quote-unquote celebrities going to PWG shows. You've got people writing and tweeting and talking about wrestling that I would have never thought in a million years did. But do you think that the, quote, hipster influence is uh, definitely being felt? No, yeah, dude, for sure. Like, I mean, whatever hipsters kind of, like, latch on to – you know, are kind of deemed like cool things. So I think when that crowd all of a sudden says independent wrestling's cool, let's go to an indie show, let's drink some PBR and uh, watch some crazy matches. It's like, to me, that changes the perception of it. It's no longer this like underground, like weird thing, but it all of a sudden becomes something that people that aren't even necessarily wrestling fans can now feel comfortable going to. I have examples that I use uh, a lot when I'm just talking with my friends my ex-girlfriend, she was like a music chick, uh, didn't know anything about pro wrestling, like was a fan of it when like, when she was a kid hanging out with her cousins who were all boys, but she didn't watch wrestling. I remember one time I took her to a freelance wrestling show when we first started dating, and freelance wrestling at the time was running in a bar, 
very much that hipster crowd, cheap beer, and people just making loud reactions to some crazy high spots. And she had the time of her life. She thought it was a blast, and she would constantly tell her friends, like, you guys got to go sometime. It's so much fun. And she never in a million years would have thought that, you know, she would find herself having that good of a time at a wrestling show. But, yeah, all of a sudden she was putting it over to, like, all her people, and then they all wanted to go too, which is cool. I think it's like that's how it spreads, you know. One other example, my roommates. So my roommates are all hipster kids, <laughs> all of them. And, uh, and, like, a couple of them, they grew up watching wrestling, and they don't really follow it as diehards, but one thing I thought was interesting was they knew everything that was going on in the business, but it was solely through Reddit. Like, they followed wrestling through that Reddit wrestling forum, but, like, they didn't really watch it. They didn't, like, go to shows, but they knew everything that was going on, and it was only because of Reddit, and I thought that was so interesting, and, again, like we had mentioned, a different type of wrestling fan than there was before. It's unbelievable, and with everything, whether it's a passing of somebody like, you know, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and you're seeing all these tweets and videos and moments and stuff, everybody's sharing on social media for, for pro wrestling, or like you said, and I'll give you a great example here with, like, the Reddit community, the fact that the uh, the clamoring that the John Cena and Roman Reigns shoot angle brought out of people really tore down the fourth wall, brought everybody inside, and everyone in, on the planet that talks about wrestling was wondering whether or not that was supposed to happen, where are they going off script, blah, 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 which I think 10 years ago, hell, I'll even say five years ago, nobody, nobody was going to even question anything. They were just going to accept it and go forward. But obviously, everything's changing right in front of our eyes. Yep. Couldn't have said it any better myself. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and with those fans, too, look, there come great promotions, and you see different uh, themes and stuff, and you've been a part of a bunch of different promotions, whether it's an AIW or a Wrestle Circus or uh, anybody else that kind of, or Chikara, that they play towards the entertainment aspect of it, you know, and do you think that that's something that's bringing more people into is that they're coming to these shows not just to have, you know, a great show, athleticism, but they're also having a ton of fun and seeing a lot of colorful characters again. Yeah, I love it personally because I think that more and more awareness has been put on the fact that there's not one way to do a wrestling show. There's not one way to have a wrestling match. I think in the most recent years, the uh, emphasis about how subjective wrestling is has become like a big thing. And I love it because that's how I feel. Like I remember when I was starting out, people saying, this is how you have a wrestling match. This is how you tell a story. This is what ring psychology is. And it's like, now I look back on all that and I think, no, like, yeah, there's some tried and true methods and philosophies that definitely work. But at the end of the day, it's what I think it is, you know, because it is art. And that's the same thing with these wrestling shows. It can be whatever you want it to be. If you want to do a Lucha Libre-themed show, you can do it. If you want to do some live-action cosplay type of wrestling show, hey, you can do that too. Really, it's whatever you want. And I like that, man, because it just opens up the creative possibilities so much more. Now, with you and your career, you I mean, you literally have been everywhere, you wrestled everywhere, but most recently down there in Mexico, you know, you've been you've been to Mexico before, you know, a few times for a few different promotions, but the last time you were in Mexico, kind of what was your thoughts of down there? Because it seems like it's it's kind of ever-changing down there as well. Well, I mean, Mexico, it's got a lot, a lot of tradition. There's wrestling promotions and wrestling arenas down there that run shows every single week, the same night, same place, same time. And it's like that's been going on for years and years and years, whether that's Arena Mexico running on Tuesday nights and Friday nights, Arena Nalcalpan running on Sunday nights. It's like there's just a lot of tradition down there. And, you know, it's like people have their companies that they support. But with the Internet, there's also been a change in the way shows are ran in Mexico. There's a lot more influence of U.S. indies now in Mexico, whereas before it was a lot of traditional Mexican Lucha Libre style. 
But the attitude a lot of the luchadors has kind of evolved and changed where they don't want to do traditional Mexican lucha anymore. <laughs> they want to do indie stuff because that's what they watch on YouTube and on DVDs, and they think it's really cool. And, hey, they're athletic. They want to do that style as well. And, yeah, the luchadors changed in the last 10 years. They're hybrids now where, sure, they can do lucha libre, but, hey, they can also do, like, a U.S. indie style. They can do an American style, a Japanese style. They've really become hybrids in that sense. And I'd say the best examples are, like, Phoenix and Pentagon. And, of course, that's probably why those guys are at the top of the scene and getting booked all over the world, as they should be. Yeah, they're two unbelievable talents. Obviously, the Lucha Brothers, they're, they're just unbelievable. And I just think about you, though, and, and, and kind of how you stood out. All these great guys, they got crazy masks, they got, you know, uh, crazy looks to them. And then you come out looking as crazy as ever, you know, outfit-wise, you know, the lights and this and that. Did that take, like, a lot of balls in your part to be like, you know what, I'm really, really going to just stand out here. I'm really just going to go for it with this new look. Well, I'll tell you what took the most balls was the investment. Because <laughs> after my after my surgery... Uh, which is, it's been well documented. Uh, I mean, I've talked about it so much. Like, uh, if you want to touch on it, we can. But I encourage people to please watch my documentary, The Beat Goes On. It's on YouTube. Uh, I've covered the whole story in great detail in, like, Cole Cabana's podcast. But I ended up in a lot of credit card debt because I was basically a prisoner of the Mexican hospitals, and they would not release me from the hospital until I paid the full balance of the surgery. So think about that. We're talking a major surgery. We know how much a major surgery costs here in the United States. <laughs> so I was in Mexico and in a situation where they were like, you will not leave this hospital until you pay us the full balance of that surgery. And I really had no choice. What was I going to do? I wasn't going to be able to come up with thousands and thousands of dollars, like the drop of a hat. So I had to use my credit card, and oh, God, that broke my heart to fork over that credit card and be like, oh, my God, I'm going to be in so much debt. But whatever, at least I was alive. So paid with my credit card. Now I'm thousands and thousands of dollars in debt, and my only means of income, professional wrestling, I am now unable to do because I'm injured. So I'm in a real situation here. And... I'm back home, I'm looking on the internet, just browsing, because I was thinking to myself already, I need to reinvent myself when I come back from this injury. I need to change the look up, I need to step my game up, do something different. And I found the light-up costume online, and I thought to myself, that's it. Like, nobody is going to have anything like that. And when I saw the price tag on it, I was like, and no one's going to be able to afford anything like that either. So I thought to myself, this is a gamble. I'm already thousands and thousands of dollars in debt. This is a completely unnecessary big purchase right now, especially since I couldn't even wrestle at the time. But I just looked at it as, you know what, I'm going to roll the dice and take a risk here, and I'm going to I'm going to put myself in even more debt. Hey, I'm already thousands of debt. What's another, you know, couple thousand <laughs> so <laughs> i so i bought that light-up costume and i gotta tell you what it was probably the best impulsive purchase that i've ever made so it was ballsy in the sense that i did not need to be spending that much money on a light-up costume but i'm really glad that i did because the reaction every single time i come out now in that costume it's a bigger reaction than i've gotten in my entire career and kids love it I go to these independent shows and kids constantly want to get pictures with me in the light-up costume. And I just think it, it adds like a, an ambiance now. And the indies, hey, we can't have our own pyro and our own light shows and stuff, but you book me for your show, you're going to get some light shows for sure. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's something different. And, yeah, as reckless of a purchase as it may be, I'm really glad that I bought it. <laughs> But it's funny, like, the weirdness, obviously, of what happened in the crash. I guess it was your your colon got bad. 
but you were able to somehow turn it into a positive and really ha- have yourself stand out and really have a lot of people notice you. Maybe they didn't notice you before or maybe noticing you again. When that happened uh, at the crash, like something, you know, something progressively got worse with the call. Like how did that all go down where basically you became a prisoner of that hospital? Um, that's just the way that they do things in Mexico. Uh, I guess, in their mind, it's protecting themselves because, hey, I'm not from Mexico. I could walk out of this hospital. You can't send me a bill in the mail like you can in the United States. I could just go back to the States and not pay them anything. The way they are thinking is we have to keep this dude here so we can get paid. Otherwise, he's just going to go back to America and we'll never see a dime or a peso. But Hmm. I get it. But at the same time, how do you expect somebody to just come up with $10,000 just right there in that moment? You know, like, it's just crazy to me. I was even, it was even so bad that they held me up for money before the surgery as well. They held me up for money when I got in the hospital and told me, we're not going to run any tests until you pay us $500. Wow, okay. Here's my credit card. Then it gets to a point where it's like, okay, we're not going to start the surgery until you pay us $2,000. And at this point, I had been bleeding internally all night on like my deathbed, basically, in the worst pain of my life. And right before we're supposed to start surgery, they tell me that, $2,000 or we're not starting. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I'm dying right now, and you're going to hold me up for money? Asking my friend Gringo Loco to translate for me, I said, ask them in Spanish, What's more important right now, saving my life or $2,000? And he asked them in Spanish, and nobody could answer me. They just looked at the floor. And I'm like, oh, well, okay. I guess it's like that. Well, here's my credit card again, guys. So more debt. Then they do the surgery, save my life. And thank God the crash paid for some of the surgery. They paid for about half of it, thank God. But, yeah, I still ended up in so much debt after that situation, like, to the point where it's just been, like, so difficult that, I mean, I, this sounds terrible, but I've, I've said this before, like, if I would have known how difficult my life was going to become after the surgery, it would have been easier if I would have just died that night, honestly. But <laughs> I say that, but I am glad that I survived, glad that I'm alive, glad that I'm healthy and wrestling at a high level once again because the uh, alternative would have been way worse. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, thank, well, thank God. And and dying down there in Mexico is just a scary, scary thought, and a scary thought to think that they didn't really care about your health as much as they cared about getting paid. And obviously dealing with shady people like that is never a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm just lucky it was Mexico City where they have good doctors. Had this been in some random town in the outskirts of Mexico, I don't know that I'd be talking to you right now. So at least it was in Mexico City. Yeah, oh, my God. Definitely, definitely uh, some scary stuff down there. So when you were down there um, for AAA and for Triple Mania, was that kind of like, you know, kind of you thinking like, I don't know if I want to be here right now, you know, like a nerve-wracking kind of moment for you? Uh, you know, it was really weird, kind of surreal to be back there, especially back there for a show in front of 20,000 people. It was a weird feeling. It's like, wow, four months ago, I almost died here. And now not only am I back here, but I'm back wrestling and I'm wrestling on literally the biggest stage that Mexico has to offer. So it was very surreal in many ways, but I thought it was necessary to go back because I left Mexico at the end of April and I was so bitter and angry and pissed off about everything that I honestly never wanted to go back there again. And I would have been cool with never going back, but I don't think that was the right way to be feeling because Mexico city had been like a second home to me for so many years. So I kind of looked at going back for triple mania as making peace with Mexico, writing some wrongs and ending things on a high note because it would have been kind of lame to end on such a sour note when it was a place that had meant so much to me and done so much for me in my career. 
And obviously, you know, teaming with Andrew Everett and being part of that big tag team match down there, was that quite an experience to be a part of Triple Mania and be a part of, uh, you know, a pretty hectic and crazy, crazy match? Yeah, I mean, I thought we had one of the best matches on the show, so I was pretty happy for that. But what's weird is I didn't feel nervous wrestling in front of 20,000 people in a weird way, I felt right at home. Like, I was in the ring, and I remember at one point, Andrew Everett said to me while we were just standing in the ring while the other guys were making their entrances, he said, dude, this is beautiful, just looking around at all the people. And, yeah, he's right, it was beautiful, but I was looking around thinking, no, this is where I belong. Like, this is where I should be every single time I wrestle. And I didn't feel nervous at all. I felt like, no, this is, like, what I was made to do is be wrestling in big arenas like this. And it's funny, I wasn't nervous at all in front of 20,000 people, but when I do these independent shows, AAW, Evolve, probably I'll feel this way when I get to Virginia for PCW and Nova Pro at the end of the month. I get nervous on those shows. 20,000 people, I'm good. Put me in front of 100 smart marks and I'm terrified. So <laughs> it's an interesting thing. <laughs> Well, that's pretty. Uh, that's a testament to you, though, and the performer that you are, because you know that those guys are—they're uh, going to be critiquing you with every move you make, and they probably know your uh, your next move before you do it. But if you don't mind, I just want to dial back a couple minutes to uh, to talking more about the injury. If we can kind of dive a little bit deeper into that. Sure. So, I just kind of—I have to ask you about the events, like from the locker room to the hotel, where you had all the stuff going on, like. I know it took a while for things to kind of kick in, but, you know, as you were kind of progressively getting worse, like what really was going through your head about not just wrestling, but your health itself? Like were you focused on either getting to somebody that could help you, like, you know, a quote, like a friendly face maybe, or were you just at the point where I'm in Mexico, I just have to bite the bullet and get to some kind of hospital or some kind of medical facility immediately? I wasn't thinking any of that. As wrestlers, we try to avoid going to the hospital as much as possible. So after the match, once my adrenaline wore down, that's when I realized that I was in some real pain. Like, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't think it was as serious as it was. I thought maybe I broke a rib because I couldn't breathe very well, or maybe I just got the wind knocked out of me really bad. But once the adrenaline wore down and... I wasn't getting any better. I was actually getting a lot worse. That's when I knew, like, oh, man, like, this is serious. Like, there's something, like, really wrong here. So the first thing I tried to do, well, let me backtrack a little. I was laying down on a bench in the locker room, and I knew something was really wrong when I couldn't sit up from the bench. Like, I was laying there still in my wrestling gear, and I couldn't just sit up. And I'm like, that's bad. <laughs> that's really bad. That's when I thought maybe I had broken a rib because I'm like, I should be able to just sit up right now and I can't. So I had to like roll over and then I like somehow got myself out of my wrestling gear. And when I finally got out of my gear and changed into my clothes, like I standing up was difficult. I'm walking around like an old man and I feel very nauseous. And I thought maybe I just need to like throw up or something. So... I found, like, a dark corner outside of the arena, and I just started sticking my finger down my throat trying to make myself vomit. And it wasn't working. I couldn't puke. And the messed up part was people were coming up to me, but nobody, like, seemed that concerned. They were like, hey, man, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't know if I'm okay, honestly. Like, I'm trying to puke, but it just didn't seem like anybody was taking how I was feeling too seriously. So about an hour had passed, and Ricky Marvin, who was hanging out at the show, and he's a good friend of mine, he came up to me and said, are you okay? And at this point, I had to just be real and stop trying to tough it out and just be honest. And I told him, no, I am not okay at all. And he looked at me and goes, you're white as a ghost. And then he ran back to get some paramedics. And the paramedics showed up. And as he was going to find the paramedics, that's when I finally threw up. So I went into like a, a toilet in the locker room, just started puking my guts out. And then after I had finished, that's when the paramedics were there and they were like, yeah, get him to a hospital now. 
And they took me to the hospital. That's where I recorded the video that was on my documentary. I posted on all my social media. Recorded the video letting everybody know, hey, I'm being rushed to the hospital. Don't know what's going on. And when I got to that hospital, they hit me with a couple IVs, one with uh, some pain medicine, one with some anti-nausea medicine. But they didn't run any tests. They just hit me with the IVs, and then they said, I think you're okay. And the weird part was I actually felt okay. So I thought, oh, maybe I avoided disaster. I dodged a bullet. So they just released me from the hospital. That was probably the biggest mistake that I could have ever made was leaving that hospital because it was about a 30-minute drive back to my hotel and a very bumpy 30 minutes. And the more and more I was bumping on that ride back, the more and more I started feeling weird again, and I started sweating, and I knew something was wrong, and I should not have left that hospital. So when I got back to my hotel, there was a bathroom in the lobby, and as soon as I got into the hotel, I just threw my bags in the lobby and went straight to that bathroom. And, yeah, pure blood in the toilet. It was not brown. It was bright red. And when I got off the toilet, I tried to walk out of the bathroom, and as soon as I grabbed the door handle, I just fainted, just collapsed on the ground, passed out. And I have no idea how much time passed, but eventually, on the bathroom floor, my head throbbing because I'd smacked my head on the way down, I guess. And that's when I really started panicking because I'm like, oh, my God, I fainted. This is really bad. Not only have I just uh, used the bathroom and it was pure blood, but I've now fainted on the floor. I need to go to a hospital, like, immediately. And, yeah, that's when... The hotel staff called an ambulance for me, and even though the hospital was one mile away, it took 35 minutes for the ambulance to show up. And when I got to the hospital, that's when they started holding me up for money, and it was just a big debacle. But, hey, I survived. Sucks that I have this giant scar that's ruined my perfect six-pack, but <laughs> at least I'm alive. <laughs> If that's the least of your problems after all that, that is, uh, you could take that, you could draw something on that every night if you wanted to, but thank you for sharing that. That was an unbelievable uh, retelling. I felt like uh, we were there with you suffering that, but, you know, one of the things I wanted to bring up, too, was right after you did your video and while you were going through all this, there were the reports that were starting to kind of surface over back to the U.S., because I believe it was uh, Gringo Loco, uh, Charlie Santo, who went ahead and was with you and was posting updates and, and letting everybody know that you were going through this ordeal. Uh, did you receive, like, this barrage of response from everybody or from people in the States that were looking out for your well-being and trying to check and get some kind of word from you to see how you were? Yeah, the amount of messages, DMs. Yeah, the amount of text messages, DMs, uh, comments that I got, when I finally looked at my phone, which was, yeah, the day after the surgery, it was overwhelming, so overwhelming that I didn't even know where to start as far as responding to people and thanking them and just letting everyone know that I was okay. But it meant a lot to me to see that so many people were concerned and so many people cared. Like, that was cool, but it, the weird thing was I couldn't even feel any joy at the time because I was so angry about what had happened and so depressed because, hey, I almost died. Hey, my life's going to be changed forever now. Hey, don't know if I'm even going to be able to wrestle the same way again. And I had just come back from another injury. Like, that was the even worse part. Like, I had broken my wrist a few months before that, and I was on the shelf, and I had made my return in January. So January, February, March... <laughs> I had only been back for three months, and then this happens. So I was like, man, like I was just starting to get back to where I was, and now I have to be injured again. And this time, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to bounce back from it. So I just had so many negative feelings that as cool as it was to see all the outpouring and love that I got from the wrestling community, I couldn't even like truly appreciate it because I was just so sad and upset. 
But, you know, now that I've had time to reflect, obviously it meant the world to me that so many people reached out. And I am so lucky that I'm back to doing what I love. Oh, it's an amazing, amazing comeback. And I guess the only other question I'd have about it is, is there anything that you're hesitant now about doing in the ring, whether it's receiving or giving, or are you just taking the wrestler's mentality that that was a freak accident and, you know, the show must go on and we'll just keep on doing business as usual. And if something is kind of dangerous, maybe we'll look to avoid that on a circumstantial basis. Well, I'd say that's the part that's got, especially my friends concerned is I haven't slowed down at all. I came back from the injury eight weeks after it happened, which was absolutely insane. I wasn't, like, supposed to come back until August, so, like, a little over a month ago was when I finally got medically cleared, but I was wrestling again in June, which was super dangerous, and I could have, like, really put myself back at risk had I gotten injured. But I remember just last weekend when I wrestled for Evolve, uh, Cedric Alexander was on the show, and I talked to him and explained to him the whole story, and uh, he was shocked that, you know, I was back so quickly, and surprised that, you know, I was pretty much back to my old ways. Then he watched my match with Darby Allen that night and saw all the insane high spots we were doing, and he said that he was on the edge of his seat watching it, not because necessarily... Uh, of the moves, but because of how risky the moves were. And then hearing my story and what I had been through, he was watching it like, oh, my God, he's going to die. He's going to die. He's going to die. And I kind of like that reaction, actually. Like, I haven't slowed down. Maybe I should. Maybe that will come back to bite me in the ass one day. But I don't know. I very much just live in the moment. And I can't slow down. I can't tone my style down. Like, I'm just going to wrestle the way I want to wrestle, and if it kills me, it kills me, but I'm going to always give it my my all and give it 100% every time I go out there. So it may not be the healthiest style that I do, but you know what? It's the most fulfilling, and if people think I'm a bark or stupid for that, then uh, whatever. You can think what you want, but I just love pro wrestling. I love the style of wrestling that I do, and I'm not going to let some injury change that. Now, as far as, you know, that injury is concerned and kind of coming back early, I'm just surprised. How come TNA almost or Impact or, you know, whatever you want to call them, GFW, Impact, whatever, how come they almost didn't take the ball and run with it? Because that's a huge kind of story and almost a huge comeback story where, you know, you could be a top guy, you know, oh, my God, you know, he almost died eight weeks later, he's back. Is there any kind of reason why they didn't kind of take the ball and run with that? I don't know. I will say that watching the episode of Impact where they uh, showed the footage from Triple Mania and showed that piece about me and my return to Mexico, I looked like the biggest baby face ever in that piece. And yeah. the, only yep. disc- the, the only disconnect is we're going to show this great piece about DJZ, but now you're not going to see him on television after this. Like It's just going to be forgotten about. And like I said, I don't even know if I'm going to be booked in the November tapings yet. So... Uh, yeah, it's like it just sucks that like we have this great footage, this great vignette, but we don't get to follow up on it. So I don't know, man. Uh, I hope that we'll work things out and I'll be able to uh, wrestle on the November tapings. But yeah, I'm itching to get back in there. It's like me sitting on the sidelines saying, "Coach, put me in, put me in." So we, I guess time will tell. Yeah, it's crazy. They show that footage and then they don't act on it. It was weird. It's almost like why show it at all if you're not going to do something like they clearly have a good piece of footage, a legit story, something kind of that the fans can really say that was real and attach themselves to it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I can only just be hopeful that uh, when November rolls around, maybe they will work something out, come up with uh, some sort of idea or direction for the DJZ character, and hopefully I'll get back in there. Now, as far as the DJZ character and, and being DJZ, is that something that you came up with, something the bookers came up with? Like, how did the, you know, obviously with the bromance, but how did DJZ come about? Well, I am a real DJ, so 
2013, the Bromans had won the TNA Tag Team titles at Bound for Glory. And the next week on Impact, they did a celebration segment. And in that segment, they had a DJ, just some random dude. I guess the writers liked the idea of the Bromans having their own DJ, kind of like a Run DMC type of vibe. Three of them, one's the DJ and then the two guys. They mentioned they liked the idea of the Bromans with their own DJ, and Robbie E said to them, why don't we use Zima Ion? He's a real DJ, and he's just sitting at home doing nothing. So just like that, I get a text message one day from Dave Lagana saying, we got an idea for you. You're going to be the Bromans DJ. But that was it. Like, no other details, just you're the Bromans DJ. So when he told me that, and I think that was a couple days before the tapings, this would have been November 2013 tapings. Uh, yeah, it was like, in that moment, it's like, okay, you're the Bromance DJ. And it was up to me then to bring that character to life, come up with uh, the mannerisms, the catchphrases. And I got to give TNA a lot of credit for that. They let me do my thing. They did not step in and direct me and tell me how I should do DJZ. It was all on me, and it was sink or swim. Like, you bring this character to life. If it works and gets over... We're going to use it. If it sucks, then we're probably going to not use it. <laughs> but <laughs> everything worked out, man. Like, the chemistry between me, Robbie, and Jesse was there. Uh, I knew how to play the character since I am a real DJ. I knew all the annoying nuances of DJs and how to be over the top and play that character because it was true to my life. So it was just a perfect storm, man. And Electronic dance music was becoming this big thing in the United States at the time, so it was playing off pop culture, which wrestling always does. So I don't know, man. It was just the perfect timing. I did that for a while, but after the Bromans went their separate ways, I started thinking, like, all right, well, now we have to be serious. We're not going to get further than this as the fun-loving, annoying EDM DJ. We need to evolve the character and have people take us seriously now. So... That's when I changed the look up, and they turned me babyface, so now it was a chance for me to change my wrestling style up, because up until that point, I had been heel for years and years and years. So it's so funny when people talk about, DJZ was always good, but in the last couple of years, like, he's really changed. It's like, yeah, it's because they turned me babyface. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. It's like, I've, all, I've always been able to do high-flying moves. Lucha Libre has been a part of my style for years and years, but I'm a firm believer that when you're a heel, you should be a heel, and the babyface should be the one that shines. I'm not going to try to outshine a babyface when I'm a heel. So I was doing my job and playing my role. But they turned me babyface. It's like, okay, great. So now you're going to see what else I can do. And I wrestled a totally different style, like completely different wrestler as a heel than I was as a babyface. And I think that, you know, it showed my range. It's like, this guy can do it all. You want me to talk and be a manager for the Bromans? I can do it. You want me to be a heel, get heat? I can do it. You want me to be a babyface and get over? I can do it. And I consider that a true professional. Whatever the situation is, I'm confident that I can go in there and do it. Put me in the opening match. Put me in the main event. Put me with a guy that doesn't speak English. Put me in there with a guy that's having his first match. Put me in there with a guy that's got one leg. Whatever the situation is, I'm confident that I can make it work and do it to the best of my abilities. And to me, that's what a true professional is. You pretty much uh, you nailed it right on the head. You've been able to do so much with a face, heel, manager, you know, playing the DJ, you know, and then obviously being more serious, playing the wrestler. But as I start to wind it down a bit here, I mean, you've been through all the different phases of TNA. You know, Dixie Carter, Jeff Jarrett, the Bischoff, Hogan era. But this, did it mean anything to kind of be the first Filipino to win a title in TNA? Does that, like, hold any weight with you? Does that mean a lot to you? Um, yes and no. Like, it's really weird because Filipino culture, uh, it, it can be strict at times. Like, parents, Filipino parents have certain expectations for their kids. And typically, they encourage their kids to become doctors, usually doctors. <laughs> so uh, 
as I'm growing up and I'm going to college and I don't seem to have any interest in real-life jobs like being a doctor or a businessman or whatever or a dentist. These are jobs that Filipinos do. When I was telling my family and all of my mom's Filipino friends that I want to be a professional wrestler, I was like looked at as an embarrassment almost. Like it was a joke, you know, like nobody took me seriously. I don't think, honestly, I personally don't think that any of my mom's like Filipino friends thought I was going to amount to anything because of my dreams to be a professional wrestler. And that was a little disheartening. It was like a sore spot for me. And when I finally became a professional wrestler, made it to TNA, made it to national television, then all of a sudden the Filipinos are so proud of me and constantly supporting me and posting about it on social media. And I couldn't quite feel like super happy about that because I think to myself, you guys didn't really believe in me during the struggles. It was only when I got the success that all of a sudden there was this outpouring of support. So it was like some weird mixed feelings, though. Like, sure, I'm happy to be first Filipino X Division champion or whatever. Like, sure, like that means something to me, and it's great. But at the same time, I think to myself, but I really didn't have any support from the Filipinos leading up to this. So it's just a, it's a weird mixed feeling kind of thing. But at the same time, there's no hard feelings. Like, I know that's how Filipinos are, <laughs> you know? Like, it didn't surprise me that they reacted that way to my decision to become a professional wrestler. But, you know, uh, yeah, there's there's times when I think, yeah, it would have been great if I would have became a doctor. I probably wouldn't uh, be in as terrible a situation as I am with, with the debt. But <laughs> besides that, like, I just chased my dreams, followed my passions, and right or wrong, pro wrestling was my passion. It's what I live for even though it's almost killed me. <laughs> <laughs> what a crazy business we live in. You, you love it and all this stuff, but yet it almost killed you. It's uh, pretty crazy, pretty surreal to, to think about it like, yeah, in those terms. It's absolutely. Now, obviously, you know, your career, you've, you've been able to mix it up with a lot of great wrestlers. You've had a lot of great matches, uh, a lot of big names, uh, like uh, Claudio, a.k.a. Cesaro and WWE, Hero, Gargano, RVD, so many guys, you know, that have big names and things like that. But do you have a favorite match, maybe a couple of favorite matches that you've had in your career? Uh, nothing jumps out as, like, this is my favorite match because I think to myself, like, I still don't think I've had my best match yet. I've had matches that stand out as good nights, good reactions from the crowd, good memories. Me and Drew Galloway from AAW this past March, like that stands out as probably one of the better matches I've been a part of. Classic big man, small man story, and we stayed true to that story the whole match. And the crowd really got behind it. And it was a real loaded show, and I thought that our match in particular stood out the most. So that match is like a good memory. Me and Rob Van Dam Bound for Glory 2012. That is a good memory. Uh, AIW Absolution last year, we had a Lucha Libre six-man tag to start the show, and I thought that was like probably the best I've ever wrestled, like my best performance that I've ever wrestled in any match thus far in my career. So there's like good moments, but I still don't think I've had my best match yet. <laughs> so... Nothing stands out as a favorite because I don't think I've had my favorite match yet. Hopefully one day. That, that's kind of the lead into the next question, which is, you know, when you look at your career, you look at what you've done so far. When we talk to guys that have retired, we always say, you know, what did you leave in the business or what did you feel, you know, you, you, your legacy is. But for you, obviously, there's still so much to do and you've overcome a lot of adversity in the last year. But if you look in that Magic 8-Ball five years down the road, what does DJ Z want to be doing in professional wrestling? Man, I don't know. Like, it's really hard to say. Uh, you know, wrestling's so unpredictable. Who knows if I'll 
still be doing this in five years, or maybe I'll be doing it at a super high level. I really don't know because it's, like, so unpredictable. But I hope I'm still wrestling. I hope I'm healthy. I hope I'm doing this for a living in five years. That's all I really hope, you know. Like, I have no expectations. I didn't think I was going to make it this far, and especially after the injury, I didn't think that I was going to be back this quickly having good matches again, wrestling at Triple Mania. I'm going to Japan this weekend, so going to Tokyo again. Like I didn't think all of this was going to happen quickly, but it makes me appreciate it a lot more because I came so close to losing it all. So I'm just lucky to be healthy, man. Like In five years, if I'm still doing this, I, I will be very thankful for that. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Absolutely, and look, we really appreciate you sharing all the detail and reliving it, because I'm sure retelling that story is not always fun, but we appreciate you doing that. And before we let you go, please share with the listeners of the two-man power trip just where they can find anything and everything going on in the world of DJZ, as well as maybe a couple dates where uh, we might be crossing paths in the not-too-distant future. Oh, absolutely. So I'll make it real simple for you guys. All my social media, Twitter and Instagram, is at IMDJZ. My official website is IMDJZ.com. So I'm real easy to find online, but catch me, like I said, Tokyo, Japan this weekend. AAW's got a big tournament that I will be a part of October 13th and 14th. And, of course, the end of the month, we're at... Nova Pro, we're at PCW back in the DMV, the Northern Virginia area, old stomping grounds of mine. So I'm looking forward to that. So I will see you guys there, I hope. Oh, absolutely. And see, we're so comfortable now. I'll just call you Z when I see you. I mean, we're, uh, That's we're, what everyone else calls story. me. I'm just so going to call you Mr. Z. <laughs> <laughs> that works, man. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.